Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. Hey, this is Alan Matudio. I'm an art activist from Jijage, colonially known as Montreal, from the Ganye Kahaga Nation. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Halo Halo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lens we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabeg people. It's warm up, and we've got a special guest in studio, Sigs. We do. We have Alan Mutudio joining us. Thank you so much for joining us virtually in yes, our thank studio. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Super excited. Oh, awesome. So we have a little bit of a warm up and I love it when we have creatives on and I like to pick their brains. Now, Alan is the creator of a graphic novel called Kasama, but I want to get in there and I want to ask you, what was the first comic book you ever purchased? Yeah, it's me being such a nerd. I can't, (laughs) like, I can't even, I have no idea what that might've been, right? It's just, as a kid, I just picked up whatever I thought was cool. Definitely, it was probably like a Marvel comic, but like, I picked it up because of the pictures, really. I had no idea what I was reading. (laughs) (laughs) On the Hello Hello podcast, Alan, we heart nerds, right? So we very much appreciate nerds. So thank thank (laughs) you for good company. You're in very good company, at least with us. Sigs, for me, interestingly (laughs) enough, when I think about an early comic, I think of the Archie comic book series. And yeah. I specifically think about this, you know, in terms of growing up. And at the time, my parents couldn't afford any vacation outside of camping, any of the provincial park, Ontario. And mm. quite often we'd go to a general store and, you know, all they had were like Archie comic books and stuff like that. So I just recall buying lots of Archie comic books, like growing up and then just kind of like consuming all of it. I don't know that I fully understood the comics at like age eight, nine, or 10. But that's what I certainly recall consuming early on in my childhood in one of the first comic books that I ever bought. And I can specifically remember it being at the general store at Presqu'Ile Provincial Park here in Ontario. And just buying that because it was like, oh, there was nothing else to do, believe it or not, camping. My parents were obviously fishing and enjoying the (laughs) atmosphere. But for me, it was like, oh, let's do something. Let's read something. That's what I could buy at the time. So, yeah, that's what I recall. Really? You know, it's so funny. I don't remember purchasing a book, a comic book, but someone gave me one. And I kid you not, it was called Archie Parables. And it was like religion. I know. I was like, oh, these are like religion parables with Archie and the disconnect was in my head. I'm like, oh, I thought it would be like they were vying for Betty and Veronica's love, but no, they were talking about being good to another. And like there was wow. like, a parable with like Bible things. Like I obviously went to a Catholic school, and someone's like, here, you'd like this. And I'm like, really? Totally puzzled me. Like, so sorry, how like, did you get these like Archie parables? Like someone gave this to you? Someone gave it to me. They're like, oh, they're reading a comic book. I'm like, oh, cool, a comic book, right? Like, because <laughs> oh. my parents were very much, you read books without pictures. Like it was almost yeah. like cheating for them. And I'm like, oh, yeah. and someone gave me this, and I'm like, parables, like parables, like like from the Bible. And there were like <laughs> three things. And you guys, I was like, oh, I thought it would be cool. And then from that, I was like, oh, I, 
I didn't quite understand. Like I saw comic strips in the newspaper. And as I grew older, I knew that they had collections and stuff. But that was my first one. I think it was like in grade two. And I was absolutely puzzled. I'm like, every time I saw an Archie comic book, I'm like, I don't want to read about the Bible. Like, is that what what it's all about? Wow. Clearly, like, it totally flipped because we'll sort of segue into my next question. So if you remember your first comic book purchase growing up as we grow yeah. in for, like, our kids and childhood and our, to our teens, mm-hmm. what comics did you happen to consume? Are your tastes start varying and stuff? How did your comic book journey, like, sort of sure. start moving? Yeah, um, well, I guess it's funny because I started where I actually started collecting comics was with Sonic the Hedgehog because I was so into the video game. (laughs) And what's really funny about Sonic the Hedgehog is at the time, they were published by Archie Comics. So (laughs) we all kind of have that history, right, with Archie Comics. And yeah, and when I was purchasing it, like it wasn't at a comic book shop either. It was like at a department store because (laughs) there was comics there randomly, right? It was the most accessible place to get a comic book. But yeah, as I grew older, I started having, I guess more so when I started taking art more seriously, then I started looking into comics that had more representation of people of color. Mm -hmm. And I started looking for themes that I thought were important to influence my work whenever I would start creating art. So such works include like Filipino comics or even Filipino creators in the diaspora. Because ultimately, I wanted to see what was out there. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see if how similar the conversation that I wanted to share was. And also being able to compare with different communities, right? Like mm-hmm. seeing what indigenous comics looks like, seeing what black oh. comics look like. And seeing like the underlying similarities that our communities are going through. Like the struggles that they're portraying. It's so fascinating, right? Because like comic books, like, you know, what Sigs was talking about was obviously comics being used for proselytizing religion, right? (laughs) That's really what it was. It reminded me of kind of like, if if anyone's ever been to Sunday school, they do give out like comic books, quote unquote, and then you color them. And then it's exactly that teaching a parable, which Sigs, (laughs) like, what did you learn? Like reading any of those comic books? That's what I was kind of curious about before. (laughs) I recall the three of them, one of them, them was like they were defeating a dragon and one of them was set in world war one and there were fighter pilots and like they went to church and then they i, I just remember like they had a verse and then they wrote the verse out and i'm like wow that's fascinating like, i thought this was supposed to be like sort of light and fun like my seven-year-old self and i'm like this is so weird and then when i actually saw like and you say department stores, Alan, I'm, like the grocery stores, you could get like, yeah, you absolutely. know, books and stuff like that. And I always want, like, when I saw the actual Archie comics where, oh, we had stories with Jughead and stuff who I loved and we bought that. And I sort of did like a bit of a backronym where I would watch cartoon shows like Thundercats or G.I. Joe and they would transcribe them into comics which I thought was interesting. And like, I really respect, like Alan went to a deeper dive when you want to see representation. I remember being young and being like one of the few Filipinos on my street. And I remember G.I. Joe had a character named Quick Kick, who was Asian. And he was just like, I don't know if he was like indigenous also or whatever, but he loved like icy bars. And I remember there was a comic book with him in it. And I was super excited. I'm like, oh, good. Because when we would play act, everyone would be like, you know, Flint or Joe. But I was like, Mm. oh, I'm going to be Quick Kick. And I see I have a comic book where, hey, he sort of looks like me, but you know what I mean? It was something where I was like, oh, this is sort of cool, where I saw something that I sort of identified. And when I play acted with my friends, I got to be like a character that was actually in, that was like <laughs> <Yeah>. drawn. 
What about you, Kuya? You know, in high school at least, uh, I had a couple of friends that were really into comic books and our weekends would be spent going to Silver Snail comic books here in Toronto. Oh. But I have to say, like, for me, comic books was an access issue, right? Like, I could only get comic books if I was actually at the library or the Toronto Public Library or whatever friends would actually share with me, right? And so... To be quite honest, it was hard for me to want to attach to comic books because I felt that if I got into it too much, I would just be pining for it all the time because I wouldn't be able to kind of have regular access to it. And so for me, I had to rely really on what people were willing to share with me. And so I remember in the late 80s, early 90s, that's when the Dark Knight series came out. And I just remember friends just sharing that with me. And I was just really intrigued because friends were like, oh, this is really dark. Mm-hmm. But it's fascinating. I didn't see it as dark. I just thought it a bit more psychological. And it was interesting kind of exploring motivations. In as much as kind of like comics, I think like the both of you have been talking about can be used as a way of kind of conveying messages as well as conveying struggles. For me, it was like conveying kind of people's motivations, which is what I'm really interested in. Like I'm always interested in people's motivations and how they do and what they do, what they do. So that was one comic book series that if I could get my hands on it, I would certainly search out or ask friends if I can borrow their Dark Knight series comic books and kind of go through them. But I have to tell you, like I had friends that were so particular, kind of like taking it out of the plastic sleeves, sleeves. Yeah. not cracking the spine too much. And, Ooh, so, yeah. and so if anything, I was really more nervous when I was like reading their stuff because I didn't want to be the guy that borrowed it and then like yeah. cracked it open and stuff like that. Obviously, if it was mine, I could do whatever I wanted with it. That's kind of like my primary number one memory of comics, apart from Archie, you know, from early childhood, primarily in high school, kind of thinking about, oh, these were comics that I were really drawn to because it was an interesting exploration of people's motivation and psyche. Well, I think also it's important to note that comic books is not a genre necessarily, right? Mm. It's a medium. Mm -hmm. So we get to talk about literally anything we want in that format, right? Like you, you brought about how that Archie Parables was on the religious side. And I made a comic book that was talking about the elections that happened in the Philippines in 2022. So it's really, you could be talking about anything and whatever tone you want. The only thing that is consistent with that format is really that kind of intersection between the illustrations and the words, right? And how the harmony between those two. But ultimately, it's so diverse. That's why I love it so much because Mm -hmm. within the comic book format, there's every genre that you see in literature as well, right? Like in classic just books, right? So, And anything's possible, you know, in comparison to other media and other mediums. Because if you were to think about movies, like they are limited by budgets. If anything, we're limited by people's creativities and imaginations, if we think about it those ways. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I think I love it, too, because when I was younger, I remember my mom buying me a comic, and I'd read it, like, lickety-split. And I was like, you're done it? I'm like, yeah, I've read it, like, in half an hour. I was like, okay. <laughs> I go, so do I get another one? Mom was like, no. But right now, I, I have little ones, Alan, and I have an eight-year-old, and she loves the graphic novels. And I, it engages, like, it's it opens up a door for kids to, like, consume 
like different yeah. genres, whether it's Little Women or like Babysitter's Club or Moby Dick, you can get it in graphic novel form. And it's just yeah. more engaging where I remember trying to slough through some books where I'm just, okay, I, I can see it in my mind. But when I see an interpretation or whatever, it just it makes your mind dance a little bit more. You know, which it's I think interesting you say that, Sigs, because yeah. I find that, and Alan, you may, I wonder what you think about this is I find that comic books really demand patience. You know, because I remember kind of like going through comics and it's easy to just kind of like glance at the picture and concentrate on the dialogue. But I have found over the years when I've read comic books and graphic novels, the nuance in the pictures and in the facial expressions and the action that's being portrayed, like says so much more than whatever is being said in the captions and stuff like that. And yeah, so recently my partner and I have gone through Alice Osmond's Heartstopper comics and graphic novel in comparison to the Netflix series. Michael read through it really quickly and I'm just kind of like, honey, I think you got to appreciate all what's happening. This is because he was like saying, oh, like the Netflix series is filled with all this emotion. I'm like, it's actually there. And if you actually look at the facial expressions, you can see that Netflix really practically copied it frame by frame in terms of their expression. And if you go on Twitter, you can kind of see it. Like people like pull up the graphic novel frame and then pull up the same one in the Netflix series. And it's all there. It's just, it's in action and it's in moving form as opposed to the graphic novel. But that's what I've been noticing. I've been thinking, oh, it really demands a certain level of patience and kind of slow scanning. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way, just in a really kind of, like you need to be kind of thoughtful as you kind of immerse yourself in the pictures or in the graphics that have been put out there. I guess to comment on that, like what's great about this format is that it's accessible in that way. So you could Mm -hmm. read it fast and you would get a big portion of it. But if you do take the time to analyze Page composition, even within the panel composition, minor details in facial expressions, the colors of the background, everything is mm-hmm. intentional. As yeah. the artist, we drew it a certain yeah. way for a reason. Yeah. The lines go a certain way for a reason to encourage a certain mood and the colors were chosen for a reason. So everything is There's a reason for those artistic choices that you're yeah. making, right? Yeah. So yeah. when it does get translated to a TV show, a big part of the research and development for the series producers or the video producers has been done already yeah. because the comic has already created the color script, for example. Right. Yeah, the uh, color story or the tone that it needs to be taken, right, or the yeah. emotion that needs to be conveyed, right? Yeah, totally. I love this. Selfishly, I have one more question for our warm-up, and this is really directed to Alan. I'd love sure. to... Ask people that guests on our show, if you have any recos for us in reading yeah. graphic novels? I want to hear from you. Not that I don't hear from Jesse all the time, but <laughs> since you're our guest, we're walking. But what do you have some recos for us, Hollow Hollow Podcast people and listeners right now? I don't know if you guys have heard of Trece. Yes, um, we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did have actually. You guys read it? I actually just got the books, right? Like I've got the graphic. The first three is what I read. And it was funny. We have a friend and a previous guest on the podcast who actually got it for us uh, from the bookstore. Yeah. Instead of actually trying to find it at an exorbitant rate on Amazon, she got it straight from the national bookstore. But yes, I've certainly gone through the first two novels, actually, or two graphic novels or two volumes, rather. Because I feel like Trece is one of those essential Mm. kind of, when it comes to Filipino comics, because... What Budget 10 and what Kaju did was take Filipino mythology, which is usually set in rural Philippines in like Mm -hmm. 
because a lot of Filipino mythology is like more in the countryside or in jungles. Mm -hmm. And to be able to translate that in something more contemporary, like downtown Manila, that really makes it a lot more grounded or real for Filipinos. And it just, I want to be able to create that when I write about Filipino mythology. I want Filipinos to connect to these creatures the way Trece was able to connect the creatures back to mm. the Filipinos back home. So whenever people ask me some must-reads, even if you've read it, I'm going to tell them Trece is always going to be my number one recommendation. Okay. Mm. They did it so well. Well, even just in terms of writing and art, like these guys are masters in this industry. Like they deserve a lot more credit. And the TV show doesn't do it justice. Like what they no, released it doesn't. on Netflix. It's right. really yeah. a whole different mood, a whole different. It's just so much more gritty and dark. Like it's comparable to like Batman, really. Like Batman right. was a huge influence in that. Like in terms of the detective elements of it, in terms of how you play with the shadows. And it's, it's my favorite series of all time. Okay. I say, for sure. Yeah. Um, when it comes to other work, I really enjoy reading Trinidad Escobar. So they're an artist in, in America, in the West Side. And they write more about identity and how just their experience as a Filipinex in the diaspora. And that is more relevant to me as a Filipino in Canada, right? Like right. I realized that we share similar experiences and Trinidad is an amazing just storyteller and just artist as well. And I can't help but give a shout out to Andy Vicente, who just released their, yeah, there you go, Bitter Melanin. Um, it's not a graphic novel, but in terms of like Filipino literature, I think right. it's a must. I went to the book launch today. That's awesome. Yeah, Ottawa, I saw that's that. I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I was in Montreal <laughs> to see you read. So yes, listeners, we will give Anak Publishing, go there, get your copy. And Alan is actually featured in the book for his contribution, sharing some poetry, which is wonderful. Yes. Are we warmed up, guys, to do a full episode soon? How do you guys feel so far? Uh, I think we're warmed up. Are we warmed up, Alan? Let's do it. Let's do it. Right. Okay. So take us out, Six. Alan, would you like to share with our listeners your socials, or websites where people can learn more about you and your work? Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram at Alan Matudio, or you could visit my website at www.alanmatudio.com. Excellent. Uh, we have an email account, hellohellopopculture at gmail.com. Email us if you have any questions, concerns. And you can find us on Twitter. At, our handle is at hellohellopop. And we're on Instagram also at hellohellopopculture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chelts Ringen. And we'll see all of you guys again real soon. See you soon, guys. <laughs>